Today's reading is taken from the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 15. I'll be reading from verses 1 through 19 and reading from the NIV translation. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. This is God's word. Well, let me pray as we begin to look at 1 Corinthians 15 together. Our great God and Father, what a magnificent truth we have to consider here this morning that Christ was raised from the dead and because he was we can be too for those of us who trust in him a future bodily resurrection into the new creation is a certainty deepen our trust in that we pray in Jesus name amen well, 1 Corinthians 15 is a wonderful chapter to read on any occasion, and we were due to do so as a church in the run-up to Easter anyhow. But in this particular time of the coronavirus epidemic, well, it seems a really great thing to be looking at, because death is more common than we're used to. Uh, as I speak, the, uh, yesterday the, the, the numbers went through 100 deaths in the UK for the first time. You may not have been touched personally. You may not know many who it's directly affected. But certainly when I go for my daily cycle ride, my little bit of exercise in the day, I cycle past a couple of temporary morgues that have been erected. And it's sobering. 
So what do you do? What do you do when death is more obvious? It's obviously drawn closer to us. Well, I think it's very natural to hate death. Here's one man, Larry Ellison. He's CEO of Oracle, a big institution. He's the fifth richest man in the world, if you've never heard of him. And I read an article about how the super-rich are chasing immortality. This is what Larry Ellison commented. He said, death makes me angry. It doesn't make any sense to me. How could a person be there and just vanish? Just not be there? Well, he responds as only the super-rich can. He says, well, I'll prevent death. So he's spending his uh, millions and billions of dollars on uh, technology to upload his brain uh, into the cloud and then hopefully download it into some uh, cyber organism, uh, makes you think of Terminator, but uh, something like that. That's what he's spending his money on because he says, death just makes me angry. I don't want there to be death. Certainly I don't want to die. So he tries to prevent it. Others, of course, and I think this is more common, they simply deny that it matters. Well, we'll come again some view of karma or the circle of life. So even the brilliant Albert Einstein put it this way, our death is not the end if we can live on in our children and the younger generation, for they are us. Our bodies are only wilted trees, excuse me, wilted leaves on the tree of life. You see, he, he wants to deny that there really is an end. He'll live on in, in some way. Or similarly, Chris Martin of Coldplay says, or sings, I'd rather be a comma than a full stop. Well, of course, just a pause, not an end. So some people deny it matters. Others would say, well, it's just natural, isn't it? The sort of atheistic world or a world of just raw materialism says, well, it's natural. You live, you die, get on with it. There's nothing you can do about it. The problem is we don't feel that way. We find it hard because we don't want to think we're just a wave on the sand, a second in history, a gust in the wind. We don't want that. Actually, to, to, to deny that death matters makes us less human. And so into a moment in history where, as I say, death looms larger, the normal. How wonderful to come and consider the claims here in 1 Corinthians 15 that there is a bodily future resurrection from the dead for those who trust in Jesus Christ. We can look at it very simply this way. Paul's comment to us is, look, hold firmly to the gospel message about Jesus's death and resurrection because it changes everything. Okay. Those three. Hold firmly to the gospel message about Jesus' death and resurrection because it changes everything. First, though, hold firmly to the gospel message. Chapter 15 and verses 1 and 2. So Paul says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. And four things about it. Uh, oh, sorry, I preached it to you. You received it. You've taken your stand on it. And by this gospel, you're saved if, if you hold firmly to this word that I preached to you. This verb, uh, hold firmly, it's a verb used elsewhere in the New Testament of holding someone captive. 
I, you, you just you don't let them go. You don't take a chance. You don't leave the door open. There's no ambiguity. You lock them up. They're safe. They're secure. Hold firmly is Paul's comment. The picture, I guess, is that you, you and I, we're stuck at the bottom of a pit and there's no way out. But then a, a, a rope descends to us and we say, oh, how wonderful. And we grab the rope and we're pulled out of the pit. Paul says, here is this message about what Jesus Christ has done. Grab hold of it. Hold on to it. Don't let go. And as long as you hold to what Jesus has done, you'll be rescued, even from death. And notice, look, this is not just a, a mere intellectual ascent. Oh, look, I see a rope. I see the rope is strong. I think if I held on to the rope, I might be pulled out. I acknowledge that this rope is a good way of being saved. Not that. And Paul is saying that a Christian is not one who says, Jesus, I like him. I admire him. I recognise that he's done something to save me. I acknowledge that. That doesn't make you a Christian. You've got to hold personally. You've got to take your stand on this message. And this message then, it is about what Jesus has done, not what you and I do. We'll see in a moment all the verbs, uh, all the action in verses 3 to 8. It's all him. He, he does everything. Now, there is an enormous difference, and we know it at the moment in the UK, between what we're told to do and what someone might have done for us. So let me put it in these terms. The Prime Minister will say to, to you and I, do this, wash your hands. You must wash your hands. You must stay at home. You can only exit your house once a day for a little bit of uh, exercise. Those are the things you must do, and if you do them, you might be safe, and you may save or protect the NHS. How different it would be if all of a sudden on the news one night, it's a different tone to the news conference, and uh, Boris appears and says, it's done. Wonderful Chris Whitty and his team have produced a vaccine that works. It's been tested. It works 100%. Every single member of the population is going to receive through the post a little tablet, a little pill. Take it, and uh, that's it. You have full immunity. Herd and everyone are going to be immune. That's very different. Very different from do this, wash your hands, don't go out, stay at home, to it's been done. The rescue has been done, achieved. You just got to accept it. Take it. That's what's being described here. So actually, the Christian is one who knows it is far more important to know what God has done in the past through Jesus than actually what God has in store for us today. That may not be super popular, but it is true. What God has done in the past through Jesus is far more important than perhaps what God has in store for us today. Because what Jesus has done, you hold firmly to that, you're saved. You can know resurrection. You can know hope through death. So hold firmly to the gospel message. 
Paul says. Let's look at the content though, because it is about, secondly, it's about Jesus's death and resurrection. Verse three, what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. You need to know this above all other things. Actually, there's four little elements here. Did you see them? Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to lots of different people. Now, I think numbers one and three there are the important ones. They're according to the scriptures, and numbers two and four support them. So it goes a little bit, Christ died, oh, and was buried, that proves that. And Christ was raised, oh, and he appeared, and that proves that. I think that's the logic. Certainly the death and resurrection are highlighted. They happen according to the scriptures. Let's just look at those two then. Christ died, why, we're told? We're told for our sins, plural, for everything we've ever done wrong. Every selfish thought, every evil deed, everything. Perhaps you think of them as a physical object. Every sin is perhaps represented by a ball. And as you go through the day, you start to uh, accumulate them. I wonder how long would it take to fill up your hands? How long would it take to fill up a bath? How long to fill up your car if you have one? Your flat? How long to fill up the whole house? A day? A week? A month? What do you reckon? How long would it take? I think that the answer to that probably depends upon actually how self-aware you are. Because all of us are committing lots of different sins all the time. Now look, some of us, uh, they're very obvious, you know, there's obvious crimes, gross misdemeanours. Others are more subtle and we're very, very good at justifying ourselves. So take the example of uh, supermarket hoarders. No doubt, as people have gone and stolen all the pasta, or stolen, but taken all the pasta and the loo rolls and whatever it may be off the shelves, so that you get to the point where you have nurses uh, uh, coming off A&E and sitting in their cars and crying on the BBC, stop it, stop it, you know, we've got nothing to eat. Now, no doubt, those who just hoarded and grabbed as much stuff as they could for themselves, they would say, it's not sin, it's just sensible. I'm just looking after myself. Yeah, but that sort of selfishness, that is sin. Now, sometimes they'll affect other people, our selfish acts. Sometimes no one else may know. But each and every one is a crime against God and requires redress. So when we're told that Christ died for sins. That is, he died to pay for all we've done wrong, to atone for them, to be penalised for them. He died for us, taking all that we've done wrong and the penalty against it. That's what his death does. And he does so according to the scriptures. There's many, many places you could turn. Uh, lots of the Psalms, Psalm 22, Psalm 41, Psalm 69, perhaps famously Isaiah 55. It'll appear on your screen. Here's a prediction of the scriptures. 
He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, as the Old Testament promised. He's died. And then the other thing that's highlighted, Christ died, Christ was raised. He was raised on the third day, again, according to the scriptures. There's numerous places you could turn again on the day of Pentecost. Uh, a few years before this, the Apostle Peter had stood up and said, Jesus, he's the fulfillment of Psalm 16 and verse 10. He was the one speaking, saying, you'll not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. Peter says, that promise, that promise. It's true in Jesus. You could turn again. Isaiah 26, 19, Daniel 12, 13, the resurrection of many predicted, foretold. It's not news. Uh, the Bible had always said that this would take place. Christ was raised according to the scriptures. And then just to under, underline that, Paul comments how many people he appeared to, verse 5, and the risen Jesus appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and the twelve apostles, and to more than 500 of brothers, and then to James, the brother of Jesus, then the other apostles, last of all to me, I'm not the odd one out really. But all these people, Paul is writing this 10, maybe 15 years after the resurrection of Jesus. It's very brave of him to publish this and say, you can go and look, you can go and chat to all these people. Go and ask them. There's evidence. He died, yes, was buried, yes, but was raised and appeared to vast numbers, demonstrating it was true. Now, look, I'm not going to persuade you just in this, of course, if you're wavering or if you've never thought this through, but can I plead with you? If you're a Christian having doubts, just go back to the evidence of the resurrection. Nothing's changed. Still true. If you're uncertain where you stand on such things, please take a look at the evidence for the resurrection. It's compelling. Maybe that's why you've never done so. I don't know. Look, hold firmly to the gospel message about Jesus' death and resurrection. It changes everything. It changes everything as we finish. Verses 9 to the end. First, Paul describes the impact that this gospel had on him. Verse 9, for I am the least of the apostles, I don't deserve to be called an apostle, I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. Now I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but by the grace of God that was with me. So then, whether it's I or, or they, this is what we all preach. And this is what you believed. So Paul says, yeah, look, the grace of God three times mentioned, it turned me from a persecutor of the church into a preacher of Jesus Christ, trying to grow his church. But then he turns directly to the issue of the Corinthians. Now we're going to look in detail at these verses next week, verses 12 to 19, but just to start to look at them now. Verse 12, it seems that rather than holding firm to the gospel message, the Corinthians were letting it go. So verse 12 if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? It makes no sense, says Paul. It 
it seems as if the Corinthians could say, yeah, yeah that this man, Jesus, he was, he was raised from the dead. Yeah, yeah, we get that. But what impact does it have on us? It seems they still, as a Greek culture would, believed in some sort of disembodied existence in the afterlife. And Paul says, no, Jesus was physically raised, which means that you will be physically raised. Jesus is the pioneer who God raised from the dead. He dangles down the rope to us and says, hold firmly, I'll take you to where I've already gone. It's not merely that one man has been raised, but that resurrection power has broken into this world. It's a whole new possibility now Jesus is raised from the dead. Others can be too, if they trust in him. Jesus has opened a door and said, follow me. You can follow me through death to new life again. Two little things. Let me just make two, to my mind, obvious comments as we uh, draw this to a finish. And the first is this. This is physical, bodily resurrection. The afterlife is not some disembodied existence, you know, a sort of floaty, drifty, in a nighty, slightly dull, slightly bland existence, less than this world. No, it's physical. It's this world remade, restored, bigger, grander, deeper, truer, and we're physically part of it. It's physical resurrection. And because of that, the second thing is we finish this is extraordinary hope, real hope. Some will die during this epidemic. Many have, of course, already. But in our country, the numbers tragically will escalate. Here is hope that it's not the end. It is only, truly, a comma, not a full stop, because there's life to come. So some in our church would know David. David used to be part of Christchurch Mayfair. He's now one of our mission partners uh, serving overseas in North Africa. This week his sister died. Not directly of uh, COVID-19, but she couldn't get the medical care she needed because of the lockdown. She couldn't get to a hospital. Tragic, age 25. Uh, she's married. Her husband wrote this of Melody. Her husband wrote, Melody's long-awaited desire is now reality. She'll jump and run free and full of joy in the presence of God, and she'll sing with full lungs the praises of Jesus, free of pain, free of sickness. I miss her deeply, but give thanks for all the years spent together and the lives she's touched. She wants this day, the day she died, she wants this day to be a celebration for what Christ has done and our hope in him. It's amazing, isn't it? But it is what every Christian can say on their deathbed as they lose a loved one. I'm crying, I'm grieving, but I have hope. And even today I can celebrate. He says he'll celebrate because he knows he'll see his wife again. Hold 
firmly. Grab hold of, don't let go. Hold firmly the gospel message about what Jesus has done. His death and resurrection changes everything. No matter what the next few weeks bring for you, your family, this country, hold on to what Jesus has done for you. Die for your sins, risen again, opened the door and says, come, be with me in the new creation. Let me lead us in a prayer. Our great God and Father, we thank you for this most precious of truths. Christ died for our sins. He rose again to new life. Father, would we hold firmly to this wonderful message of what he's done. Take our stand upon it. Keep believing it. Believe it for the first time. And therefore have confidence that this world is not all there is. That when we die, it's a comma. It's not a full stop. And actually what comes after the comma is better, greater, more wonderful. Keep us holding firm to that, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.